Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Parents can be at times the worst hypocrite Pharisee that kids will ever see, where parents are requiring of children for them to live above the level that they're living at. Want you to live separated to the Lord. You ain't separated, Dad, Mom. I hear what you hear. I see what you're watching. I listen to how you're talking. I see how you're behaving. You want me to live higher than you, and it, it's a real. It kind of tears down what the Lord wants to do. God would say, "I want you to be it. Live it out." Have you ever been extremely confident in something, only to fall flat on your face and let yourself and others down? Even when we are our absolute best, we'll never be perfect and can't rely on ourselves to always deliver. Today, Pastor Mark wants you to know that there is someone who is perfect all the time and will never let you down, Jesus. We have a purpose that goes beyond the everyday rat race of life, and all we need to do is follow Him who is perfect. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Judges, chapter 13, as he begins his message, Life of Samson. You know, for you guys that are just joining us, we're making our way through the book of Judges, and uh, each judge is uh, is a deliverer, you know, so the word judge, uh, it's not in a judicial sense. Um, these individuals are raised up by God to deliver Israel from their oppressors. And so each time Israel gets into trouble, the cycle goes like this. Israel will be delivered and they'll be they'll have a season where everything is going well in the season where things are going good. Somewhere along the line, they fall into idolatry, some kind of sin that brings them into disfavor with the Lord. And one of the ways that God punishes them is by letting, allowing the pagan nations around them to oppress them. So at this point, what we're going to see tonight, the Israel, the Israelites are taken captive by the Philistines, uh, which are one of the longstanding enemies of the people of God. And God is going to raise up uh, another judge, another deliverer, a man named Samson. Now, when I say the name Samson, what do you guys think of off the top? Delilah. Delilah. That's that's that. Now, I want y'all to think about this, right? We're going to study four chapters about his life, but it should speak to us about how how failure it sticks. You know, you can have a man live 40 years doing wonderful things. He do one dumb thing, big enough, dumb enough. He didn't just do one dumb thing, but you think about Samson, you think about Delilah. It's the dumbest thing of all the dumb things that he did. It was like, this is the dumbest. And so... It messes up his whole life legacy and everything else. So something for you and me to think about. Amen. Amen. All right. Look at Judges 13, starting at verse one. It says, again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And so um, this is the seventh time we've seen that phrase. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight. So far in the book of Judges, this is the seventh time that we see that phrase again. So I would want you to think about this in your life, right? If the Lord were keeping record about you, um, how many times would those, again, Bill did evil in the sight? How how, how consistent is, of a revolution is that in your life? And it's, it isn't one person doing one thing. This is the, the, the majority of the nation that falls headlong into idolatry. And so God says again, The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is the seventh time they did it. And this time, God allows the Philistines to take them captive. Also, uh, they were they were um, it says that they were uh, oppressed for 40 years. This is the longest 
season of oppression, something I want you to think about each time that they get brought into bondage by one of these pagan nations, sometimes a very short period of time and then they cry out to the Lord. You know, a few years go by, God help us and God shows up. Sometimes it's a little lengthier, 18 years, 13 years. This is the longest it took them, 40 years, 40 whole years before they said, okay, fine, God help us, you know, we, we need you. And I want you to consider that it's happening in a nation, but it happens in individuals, that people's hearts get hardened over time. And there are people that play with God and they, they go back and forth so long to where some people get content living separate, living distant, living in oppression. Some people will just accept for lengthy. There are people that know better that will choose for lengths of time. I'm still just going to stay over here because I just don't want to submit. I just don't want to give my life over. I just don't want to surrender all the way. I would challenge you that none of us would be losing our lives like that, that we wouldn't waste years distant, separated from the Lord, um, being oppressed by the enemy because we don't want to submit when they wouldn't submit to God. Here's the trick. Here's the, the trick. But when they wouldn't submit to God, they would be brought into submission by people that hated them. So you could be in submission to God who loves you, who has a plan for you to bless you and to keep you and to do good in your life. Or you could be in oppression to the enemy who hates you, wants to steal, kill and destroy from you and is, and is licking his chops to ruin your life. Those are the options. So it, it seems like it makes really good sense that we would just submit to the Lord. Amen. And so moving on, it says in verse uh, two. Now, a certain now there was a certain man from Zora of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children. But you shall conceive and bear a son. So here we go again with a, um, a woman who's barren. And if you go through the Bible and you look at all the women that were barren, each one, um, it, it, it's just something about they were barren. There was brokenness through the barrenness. It caused them to cry out to God in a way that maybe they would not have had they not been barren. And then these kids, as these kids come about, there's 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 a difference. There's something God intended to do. God withheld children from, from Hannah, but then he gave her Samuel, man of God. God withheld children from this woman and gives her Samson. While he does some really jacked up things, he also, he does, he does do some great things in, in, the, in the scope of God's economy. Um, it happened with, you know, um, John the Baptist, you know, she was barren and then, and then boom, you get John the Baptist and he's the forerunner for Jesus Christ. And I just, Wonder as I, I look at all these different stories of women they couldn't and they were like God please 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 and God says bam now you can and give them to me and dedicate them to me and I'm gonna do great things for this life. There's something about there's something that it seems to you know when God brings something where there was gonna be nothing that you know there weren't gonna be a kid there was death here there was a there was a barren womb but now there's gonna be life and it's not gonna be a regular life this life is gonna have a touch of the supernatural. There's something about that that God seems to get glory out of and so. All that to say, if you guys here are, if there's anybody here, Baron, um, you come get prayer, come get prayer. We, we've actually in the fellowship seen women who couldn't have um, people prayed and, you know, cried out to the Lord. Somebody joked that there's something in the coffee here because um, there's women that didn't want more and have more. There's there's tie tubes. They got break. We got breakthrough babies. We got we got a, 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 what's the other thing? Uh, what's uh, we got whatever pills you take to not get pregnant. We, we have babies in the stomped on the pills and came through anyway. So <laughs> something glorious, but we should pray. You know, we should pray for those that 
Uh, and it even encourage them to, in their brokenness. Let that brokenness, don't let it turn you from God. Let that thing turn you to the Lord and cry out to him. Because um, I see all these stories where God says, you know, I don't know why. Why would you why would you withhold it if you were going to give it? You know, I wonder stuff like that. But it seems like there's something God's doing in the hearts of these mothers and, and preparing them for what he's going to do in these awesome kids. And every single one of those scenarios, these ain't no normal kids. You know, they don't have they don't have no, you know. Timmy do nothings. You know, they, these kids, these kids get out there and do something for the Lord. So um, this one, Manoah's wife, we don't get her name. She's barren. And the Lord shows up when it says the angel of the Lord. When you see that terminology in the Old Testament, that is a, a that's an appearance of Jesus Christ before he came through Mary, uh, you know, as a as a ba- as a baby Jesus. So this is Jesus showing up on the scene. It's called a Christophany. And he's showing up on the scene in the Old Testament. So Jesus shows up to this woman and says, tells her now, imagine she just sees what appears to her to be a man. It's Jesus Christ in the form of a man. And he says, hey, you haven't been able to have kids. You're barren, but you're going to have a kid. So I want you to just consider if you're a woman, you're barren, you're probably praying, you're broken, you're hoping God would do something amazing. And one day out at work, one day out in the field, some man walks up and says, hey, you're barren. You haven't been able to have kids, but you're getting ready to have one. God bless you. You know, go and he, and he moves on about his way or whatever. But he tell, he gives her more instruction than that. Look at verse four. It says um, he told her that she would receive, she would conceive and bear a son. God's been specific with her, um, not just a kid. You're going to have a son. Then verse four. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And so a whole lot said here. First of all, God tells her you've been barren, but you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. You're going to be blessed. You're going to have a child. You're going to conceive. You're going to bear a son. He says, now I'm giving you some instruction. Woman, don't drink anything from the vine or sim- no wine or similar drink. Basically, no alcoholic beverage. Don't want you to drink that or touch anything unclean. And we don't have time to really go look at it. But the vow of the Nazarite is laid out in Numbers chapter six, verses one to twenty one. You can go read it in detail. I'll give you the summary of it. This, these were the rules for a person that was going to take the vow of a Nazarite. You would not cut your hair. Um, and so your hair was, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a symbol of. The fact that you were dedicated to God, you would not cut your hair. Um, You would not drink anything from the vine. You wouldn't even eat raisins or grapes, nothing from the vine. No chance of you being intoxicated with such a call upon your life. No wine, no strong drink, no alcoholic beverage. And you were not to touch anything dead. Those were the those are the the deals. Those are the things for your your life is set apart to the Lord. And I want to consider those for a moment. First, I want to consider why God would tell the mom. Since he's going to be set apart, but now I want you to be set apart. I want you to be, I want you to live like your son's going to be called to live. I want you to do it first. I want you to be the example first. I see something in that, right? God's telling her, look, I'm, your son's going to be set apart. And it's different. Usually when someone took a Nazarite vow, it was a person that decided on their own accord, I'm going to take the vow of the Nazarite. I'm going to separate myself to the Lord. And they usually would start by shaving their head off so that now from this point, this is this hair is dedicated to the Lord. My life is dedicated to the Lord. This one's interesting. God says, I'm calling him to be a Nazarite from the womb. That means from the time he comes out the womb, don't ever cut that boy's hair. Don't ever give him anything from the vine. 
and don't let him be around dead stuff. I got a plan for his life and I need him to be set apart. God tells his mother, since I'm doing that in his life, while you're pregnant with him, you operate the same way. You observe the same things. And I was really meditating on that. And I believe that. And I think this this pans over into parenting kids in a godly way anyway. But I believe that God calls parents to be God. God would have us to be first what we're hoping that our kids would be. Everybody here with kids, you want to see your kids. Hopefully you want to see your kids love the Lord. You want to see them serving the Lord. You want to see your kids submitted to God. I believe God would say to us that are parents. So you be all that you submit to God. You be loving the Lord. You be all those things you're hoping he or she will grow up to be. You be it for them. You want your kids to have awesome marriages one day. Will you be an awesome part of the marriage that you're in? You be what you would like to see. Be the example. Be the forerunner. Be the be the first fruits of what God's going to do in their lives. Because sometimes what happens is parents, parents can be at times the worst hypocrite Pharisee that kids will ever see. Where parents are requiring of children for them to live above the level that they're living at. I want you to live separated to the Lord. You ain't separated, Dad. Mom, I hear what you hear. I see what you're watching. I listen to how you're talking. I see how you're behaving. You want me to live higher than you. And it, it's a real, it kind of tears down what the Lord wants to do. God would say, I want you to be it. Live it out. Let them admire what I'm doing in you. Let them see it first in your life. So anyway, God tells her, I want you to observe these things too. I know it's for your son, but I want you to observe it. I want you to be set apart. And this is going to be reiterated later. And that's why I don't think it's just a I don't think it's a small thing. I think it's a big deal. Um, later on, her husband's going to ask God about something else. And God's going to say, no, no, never mind that. I'm taking you back. I want her to observe this. For some reason, God said, I want your wife. To, I want her to observe this thing, too. Now, here's something else to consider. Um, as God is calling her to, you know, the vow of the Nazarite, um, something I would just challenge you to consider is why would you know why alcohol is off the menu for people that are set apart for the Lord um, in the Old Testament there were kings they were told they weren't to be people that drank the the kings of Israel um, here we have those that are separated as a vow of the Nazarite said they're not to be they're not to even touch it New Testament God raises up pastors and leaders in the church and God says they're not to be given not to be drunk not to be alcoholics not to be given over to to wine or to alcohol here's why um, there is with regard to alcohol, right? Uh, and I, I have my personal things. I'm going to leave those out for tonight. But with regard to alcohol, al alcohol is, it, it, it's, it has the potential to intoxicate you. Do we all agree with that? Amen. So the Bible says don't get drunk. So what a lot of people do is say, well, you know, the Bible says don't get drunk. Don't say you can't drink. So I'm going to drink. And this was a, I had a lengthy discussion with a, a group of pastors about this. And when you look it up, God says, you know, don't not to be given, don't, don't be addicted and not to be drunk, not to be intoxicated. Um, what I found varies is people's version of what intoxication is. The Bible's version of intoxication is and for you guys that used to drink, because I don't know none of y'all drink anymore. For y'all that used to drink, when you drink to the point where you catch a buzz, that's you're intoxicated. You're 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 affected in your mind by what you consume. You're intoxicated now. For most of us that used to do this, you're not drunk. I'm still functioning. I'm just, just a little buzz. You know, I could take four more before I'm really impacted. 
So we wouldn't consider that drunk, but God would say, no, you, you're, you're, you're now impacted by what you've consumed. I want you to be under the power and control of the Holy Spirit. Now you've given over your mind, your heart, your body to that. And now I can't do, we can't, you can't do both. You can't be drunk and filled with the Holy Spirit, led by, guided by, empowered by the Spirit. So God says, for those that are going to be set apart for service to me, used for me, hear the Nazarite, don't even touch it, right? Don't even touch the vine. Um, you guys know my, my exhortation has always been, how do I guarantee that I, I'm a pastor, I can't be getting drunk. Y'all can't show up at Fridays and see me out there tossing back drinks. You'll be, you guys all leave, you know? So what's my guarantee against becoming addicted to alcohol? What's my guarantee? Because I can't afford to ever be addicted or get drunk. What's my guarantee? Don't do it. Don't touch it. How do I make sure I don't ever want to be addicted to crack, y'all? How do I make sure that I never get addicted to crack? How do I make sure that I never get back hooked on cigarettes? I used to be on them Newports pretty tough. How do I make sure that never once again in my life, I never become addicted to Newports? The only guarantee is don't ever do it again. That's it. That is the guarantee. Anything else. If I say, well, you know what? I think I can handle it. I'm strong. Okay. My guarantee is, and I need to be living in a guarantee. I don't have, I can't play around with stuff. My guarantee is don't touch it. If I touch it, I've left a door open. That maybe, maybe not. Maybe I can handle it. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll do good. Maybe I won't do good. We'll see. And I'm going to just say this and I'll move on. In the life, I've been saved since 95. Walk with the Lord since 95. Been involved in ministry since 97. In all those years, I have seen a number of people that said, I can handle it. Lose everything. Lose everything. Families, jobs, ministries, call everything. I, I can handle it. I'm the one. I'm, I got this. I, I've seen it over and over and over and over again. And when I measure it out, I think, man, I don't know anyone that's decided not to touch it. That's suffered a consequence for not touching it. But I know I, countless guys. I can sit here and name people that, and just say, man, that guy right there, that guy was doing so great. He was on staff over here. God was using him like that. Boom. He, he gave way to the liberty, had a DUI, went to jail for a year. You know, bam, bam, bam. Life jacked up. Boom. One over here, one over there. He lost his church. He lost this over there. And I'm thinking, man, this, this, I read this and God is saying, look, don't touch it. You'll be a Nazarite. I want you separated from me. So when I read this, I think, you know, we're not taking the vow of the Nazarite, but I do take this because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for those that God is saying, you serious, you're going to be seriously separated to me. I want that out the picture. I don't, I don't, I I need you to be clear because I'm going to be given direction. There's things I want to do with your life. Uh, Pastor Clinton and I, we're talking about this earlier on. We were kind of coming up with uh, what we would require of those that were in leadership. And, and then even for ourselves as pastors, what would be required of us? And so, you know, we know what the scripture says. And we were kind of going through scenarios. And Clint had a really good. He said, man, what if what if you got that 2 a.m. phone call on a night that you had decided hey, tonight? You know, my wife did a couple of glasses of Chablis or whatever we're going to have. And then I get that call that night. And someone's like, I, you know. My kid died or so, you know, you don't you you got to go out right now. Um, what happens then? Like, What happens then? Do you show up and they're like, what, what, what is that on your breath, Pastor? You know, or, or do you, are you free to drive? Are you capable of doing what happens then? And it's one of those things like, are you available 24 seven to the Lord? Are you available until you you know, it's like we want to be available 24 seven. So if, if, if I call Clint at 1 a.m., I know Clint's solid. You know, he can go. He might be sleepy. He might need some caffeine, but he's going to be all right, you know, and vice versa. So on with uh, again, we're in uh, Numbers 13. That was verse five. Uh, he said, no razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And note this. He shall begin to deliver 
Israel um, from the hand out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, I just want to point out the sovereignty of God. God knew up front Samson's going to get this thing kicked off. He's going to put a dent in the Philistines, but he's not going to be the one to fully deliver. He's going to begin. So as I read the rest of the story and I'm like, man, Samson, you jacked up and you got messed up. And they gouged out your eyes. I just point you back to here. We'll remember this later that God's not God's not in heaven saying, oh, Samson, come on, man. I was counting on you to take care of the thing. God said, I knew from the get you was going to begin. You was going to put a dent in it, but you wasn't going to be able to complete the whole thing. Um, I, I, I like to be reminded of it sometimes that, you know, when God selected Samson, he knew everything Samson was going to do. How merciful that he picked him anyway. Right. For you and me, when God chose you and the Bible says that he did, he says that you didn't choose me. He says, I chose you. John 15, 16, uh, that you should go forth and bear much fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the father in his name, he would give you guys. I chose you. And when God chose you and God chose me, he knew every mistake we would ever make. And he chose us. He knew every mess up. He knew everything that you've ever done and every time you would ever fail in the future. So there's sometimes that people say, man, I really feel like I let God down. You let yourself down. You may have grieved the Holy Spirit. You may have let some people down. I don't know that I can let God down because God already knows everything. You know, God knows everything that's going to happen before it happens. God knows my next boo-boo I'm going to make a mistake. You know, God knows what it'll be, when it'll be and why it'll be. Um, he's not going to be in heaven and say, oh, come on, Bill, again, you did that. You know, he's not up there kicking. It's, it's me down here. I'm going to live with the result. I'm going I'm to reap what I sow. Um, there's going to be ramifications in my life. But God says, I, I knew I know everything about you. And so uh, moving on now, look at verse six. It says, so the woman came and told her husband, saying a man of God came to me. And so she recognizes she knows it's a man of God, at least. She said, the man of God came to me and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from. And he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And she goes on to say what else God said to her. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So. She comes right away to tell her husband, I, I met a man that looked like the angel of God. This is what he told me. And I'm going to say why. Uh, just a few things on barrenness in that culture at that time. Um, obviously, you know, it's, it's an inability of a woman to have a kid. That's what barrenness is. It usually made women vulnerable because uh, women that couldn't have kids in the society were men. You know, there was an expectation that I want to pass on my things. I want to have an heir. Those women would normally those marriages would normally end up with a, with a husband taking another wife. Um, and so and many times the wife that could bear kids would become the favored wife. And so you'd have a woman there, no fault of her own, couldn't have kids. And we see that in scripture where uh, husbands took on someone else. Um, we see that. And it's not right. It's not what God wanted, but it was the cultural norm of that day. Um, and so, you know, for a lot of reasons, this would have been a, a, a real disappointment, a real bummer to a wife. Um, I think of Sarah who couldn't have kids. God had closed Sarah's womb. And I look at that story and I really think that she was stressed out. She got, I think that, you know, she just like, I don't know what to do. I can't, it, it's not working. Just go into my handmaid. Do that. That's what other people are doing. They, they'll take their handmaidens and their servants and say, well, those kids will be my kids because I can't make kids. And here, no woman wants to really share her husband. Amen, wives. So I know she didn't really want that, but somehow she just said, OK, fine. Here, do this. we'll do that. You know, that'll that'll be how we fix it. And Abraham 
a big dummy. He went and did it and, and made Ishmael and made a mess. And God, when he was getting ready, you know, he kept his promise and he gave them Ishmael. So it was a difficult thing for a woman and it, it created some pressures and stresses, even more so in that society than in ours. We're so glad you joined us today on A Transforming Word, where Pastor Bill has been working his way through the eventful book of Judges. In this book, you hear about men and women of valor and courage who were willing to risk their lives, but put their faith in God to the test. Gideon is just one that comes to mind as he asked God to show him what he should do, and God showed up mightily. God delights in seeing your faith go big. Do you believe God for big things? Or do you sink into believing that it's too difficult for God? God just waiting to see you ask and trust Him for things in faith. Maybe you'll have a faith story that equals some of these people in the book of Judges. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're in the area, we love to see you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m., and a midweek service on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. You can also find us online at calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. Under the teaching tab, you'll find links to our messages. While you're at the website, why not download the mobile app? You'll get access to all our messages so you can have them on the go. If you haven't found what you're looking for on our website, Feel free to call us at 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. Our time with you is up for today. But thanks for listening. We look forward to next time as we hear a transforming word.